to The Wise Birth Radio. We are women, students, and mamas who are studying and exploring healthy pregnancies, empowered birth, nurtured postpartum times, and natural parenting from a holistic, intuitive, and grounded experience. We share our knowledge through interviews, stories, and musings. We hope to inspire you to take responsibility as you care for yourself and your family in the childbearing years. Nothing that we or any of our guests share in this space is or should be misconstrued as medical advice. Pregnancy is not a disease. Birth is not a medical event. Postpartum is not a syndrome, and everyone's journey is unique. This show is intended to spark your own curiosity and encourage you to listen to your body, your baby, and your intuition. I'm Mabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are your hosts on the Wise Birth Radio. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Mabel Rambles while she rambles, I guess. Um, I'm going for a walk today. It is a week or so past Imbolc, which is the Celtic marking of the beginning of the first signs of spring. And it totally feels like it today. It's beautiful. I'm not wearing a hat, although I probably would like to be out for a walk on the bike path. Everything is muddy and I haven't seen any bulbs coming up yet, but I'm sure they're on their way. Although up here, there's probably another snowstorm or two to come, maybe an ice storm. So not getting too attached, but just enjoying the sun for now. I always seem to start podcast episodes. Honestly, I recently just learned or realized that I'm the kind of person who starts conversations with the weather because I don't know what else to talk about. Um, Not totally sure how I feel about that, but that's how it is. And at least on this podcast, it does feel like sort of the marking of time through the seasons is often relevant to the content that I'm putting out. And funnily enough, that's totally not a word, Um, Today's episode is sort of about time, how we choose to mark time. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know if there's enough for me to sort of riff on here to even turn into a full podcast episode. This could be a mini episode or this could be one of those ideas that I had that I thought would be great and inspiring and thought provoking and then was just like, wait, that's all I have to say. It's just two sentences, the end. So we'll see if you even hear this. But I was thinking about time. (laughs) I know, it's a big topic. Um, And I was thinking about it in relation to pregnancy, how we have this very clear system of trimesters, of weeks, and of months, which isn't even really accurate. Like when you say, oh, I'm eight weeks pregnant, that means that you've actually been pregnant for six-ish weeks because they start counting, you know, the proverbial they um, at the first day of your last menstrual period, which is usually about two weeks before you conceived. So when you're 40 weeks pregnant, you've actually been pregnant for 38 weeks. It's really stupid. I honestly don't know why that's the system, but they're sort of the first undoings of time. And I saw a I think it was actually an ad on Instagram for like a birth education course since since I've been doing sort of market research for our own course that's launching uh, probably around the equinox. Instagram has been showing me all kinds of other birth education courses and like I say about, you know, midwives and OBs and 
whatever else, birth attendants you want to call yourselves. I don't think that any of them are bad. I don't think that, I mean, I'm sure there's objectively bad providers. But what I'm trying to say is that I don't think there is a perfect kind of birth, a perfect kind of experience, a perfect kind of support for anyone. And that goes along to birth education. I don't think that our course is for everyone. In fact, I think it's for a pretty specific subset of the pregnant population. I really and truly, from the bottom of my heart, believe that there is something out there for everyone. It's similar to, I've heard great herbalists say that there is one specific herb that is perfect for any, like for one specific set of symptoms, conditions, energies in a specific person. I don't know if that made sense. Let me rephrase it. So a person, one individual has their own energetic signature. Maybe they run hot. Maybe they're dry. Maybe they're a little more cold and slow. And so this individual gets, let's say, a common cold and it will present differently than someone else in their family, for example. It will have different energetics and they, here's the they again, but this time the they is herbalists that I really admire and respect and love learning from, say that there is one herb out there that sort of is like the key and can match that exact energetic signature and is the perfect remedy for that person with that one specific set of symptoms. So, similarly to that, I think that some of the birth education courses out there that I'm seeing are perfect for people who really just want, for people who want just the surface level of what's going to happen, who want to be told the amount of time, there's this theme again, that they're going to be in labor for, what's normal, be told about interventions that hospitals offer, be told about certain breathing patterns or whatever, and that's all they want, that's all they need, and that's perfect for the birth experience, that's perfect for them. My son calls water bow. We're not sure why, but it's very cute. I love two-year-old language. Anyways, all this being said, with me seeing all of these birth education ads on Instagram, I'm just really happy that we are creating what we are because it does seem like a, a very specific need that I haven't really seen filled anywhere else. Really. There's a couple others, but... I don't know, I'm just really proud of what we've made, I think is what I'm trying to say. And I'm excited that it's soon to be in the world. But, the reason that I started on this topic a long, long time ago of seeing Instagram ads for birth education courses is honestly kind of lost to me now. But I can think of another connection. One of the ads that I saw was a pregnant woman, a picture of a pregnant woman. And the caption said something about like, whatever, education for your natural birth. Doesn't really matter. But in sort of a line across the screen, there were little calendar dates. So it said like 22nd, then the next little box 23rd, 24th, kind of like you have one of those one day at a time calendar things where you rip off a page and it says the next day. Anyways, I saw that and I was like, just having no idea this information or this the perspective of this course, I can already tell that is not for me just based on the focus on 
numbers on timing. So let's go back to pregnancy. We have the three trimesters. Everybody knows about that. There are certain expectations. For example, morning sickness happens in the first trimester, not in the second. You have good energy most of the time. You feel really good in the second trimester. Not so much necessarily in the third, when you might slow down and start to feel very uncomfortable or very tired. So trimesters. I remembered actually where the whole Instagram ad train of thought came from. Um, and that was from an ad that I saw that was like, you know, it was kind of intended to grab your attention. And it was something like, Mythbusters, you can't actually be pregnant for 10 months. And it got me. Um, again, this was an ad for childbirth education. I was like, okay, let's see the math. And it was basically, you're not actually pregnant for the first two weeks. And there's something like 4.33 weeks in a month, actually. So if you were to be pregnant for 10 months, that means you'd be going to 45 and some number of days pregnant. Anyways, I was like, that's all interesting. And it got me to go to their website. But then I started thinking, why do I actually care? If I'm a pregnant person, just like scrolling the internet, perusing, why do I really care about the numbers of how many months I'm going to be pregnant for, how many days, how many, you know, when do you start counting, all that stuff. So, time. I think that we can all agree that time in some ways doesn't mean much when you're pregnant. I remember being in the first trimester and just feeling exhausted and nauseous all morning and all evening and throwing up if I brushed my molars. Um, and just thinking this feels like it's going to last forever. This has lasted forever. I am never going to be done with this. And I had a friend who was, I think either six or eight weeks-ish ahead of me. And she was into her second trimester and she's like, I feel so good and I'm just happy gardening and I have so much energy and I'm getting all this stuff done. And I was like, yeah, I'm never gonna get there. That's just not gonna happen. I'm gonna be in my first trimester forever. And then in the third trimester, I know not a whole lot of people experience it this way necessarily, but I was approaching my due date, which is the next topic of conversation. And I was not ready for pregnancy to be over. I was like, I feel like I'm really just getting into the swing of things, like feeling good in my body, feeling like I have space now to, to feel what it means to be pregnant because I was working up until like 38 weeks. And when I was, I want to say I was like 36, 37 weeks, I was like, wait a second, I can stop working. I don't have to just keep going until the baby comes. I can choose to, here's that word again, take time take time off, take time out, take time to just be pregnant. Um, and with my next pregnancy, I plan to do a lot more of that, which in some ways will be easier because I'm not working full time. And in some ways will be harder because I am, my schedule is at the whim of a two-year-old. Well, three or four-year-old by that time, probably. So time in pregnancy, we measure it in these very, what's the word? when data ends at a specific point. There's a word for it, but I forget. These very concrete ways, these very delineated ways. We say, oh, now you are in your second trimester. There's an abrupt shift. You've finished your first trimester. And you may still be feeling the same. I felt nauseous until like 
you know, kind of on and off to like 16, 17 weeks, I think. And I was like, wait, the first trimester is supposed to be over. This was all supposed to just end as soon as I hit 13 weeks. What's going on? And I think that's part of why I feel like this trimester system isn't the most, not accurate, but isn't like a really a reflection at all of the way pregnancy feels. And yes, there are things that change in your physiology around certain points of pregnancy. And yes, there are common experiences, commonalities that women experience around the same time of pregnancy. And each woman is so different, each pregnancy is so different. So I feel like the, really the conclusion of this trimester is the due date, which has been called many things by our most recent Western medical birth paradigm, um, including EDC, estimated date of confinement, um, estimated delivery date or date of delivery, which, you know, feels to me like I ordered a package, they said it's gonna be here on Tuesday, which is not quite the way that birth works. Um, yeah, I think those are the two main ones. Um, and that is such an important date for so many people, both pregnant women, their families and friends, and I think above all care providers. It's seen as not so much a due date, but an expiration date. Um, and I believe the statistic is about 5% of babies are actually born on their due dates. There's many problems with this. Well, I wouldn't even say there's problems with due dates, but there's a lot that gets messed with when too much emphasis is put on a due date. So, for example, um, with midwives, licensed midwives in many states, they cannot go to a home birth if the woman is beyond 42 weeks. That, in my mind, is incredibly messed up. I mean, it's not like every woman has the exact same timing for every other physiological process. And the statistics on the dangers, in quotes, of um, past, what is it called, post-datism, of babies being beyond 42, whatever number you want to give it, weeks, are pretty low. And regardless, even if they were high, it should be up to a woman to decide how she feels about those risks and to be able to choose if she still wants to give birth at home or not. But in many cases, that's not even an option. It's just, oh, you're 42 weeks, that's it, go to the hospital to get an induction, which is messed up. So another issue with this due date paradigm, you could say, is that oftentimes, or I don't know if often, but sometimes, and it's not that difficult for due dates to be pretty inaccurate. So starting at the beginning, if a woman doesn't know her date of conception or ovulation more accurately because you don't actually ever quite know when you've conceived, um, that the due date, or regardless, even if she knows, but her care provider decides that just to overrule that because often women aren't trusted in the knowledge of their own bodies, then a due date will be, date, will be based on the date of your last menstrual period. So, if every woman had 28 day cycles and ovulated on day 14, this would be pretty accurate. But that is not real life. Um, for example, when I conceived my son, I was having pretty long cycles at that time. And I know that I ovulated on day 19 of my cycle. So if the due date had been based on the date of my last menstrual period, 
and would have assumed, therefore, that I ovulated on day 14, it would have given me a due date that was actually four days earlier than what I was, which seems pretty inconsequential, four days plus or minus, but if you're, let's say, at 41 weeks and five days, and everyone's freaking out because you're about to be 42 weeks, but in reality, you're only 41 weeks and one day, that makes a huge difference just in terms of, you know, people's mental comfort level and ability to continue to do nothing and allow the process to unfold. The other story that I've heard far too many times and makes me feel really sad is women who had a due date, maybe they came up with it by themselves based on what they know of their cycle and it's not a hard thing to discern. You do not need a medical degree to figure out your due date. I actually got this like it's like a carpenter's tool for, I don't know, I guess making quotes up and stuff or saying how long things are going to take or how many days it is from... Anyways, I just got a little circle and you can spin it around and get how many days it's been since this day. You know what I'm saying. It's easy to find out your due date yourself. And women will sometimes go in for an ultrasound. Often it's a little bit on the later side. Um, and based on that ultrasound, the OB will say, oh, actually, your dates are wrong and you're a week later than we thought. There's a lot of problems with this. First and foremost being the sort of philosophical level problem of do we trust women more than we, I mean, do we trust technology more than we trust women? Which I think the answer for most people in this paradigm is yes. And the other problem with this is that Depending on how many weeks you are when you have an ultrasound, they are more or less accurate. By that I don't mean like, yeah, more or less pretty fine. I mean, they are more accurate or they are less accurate in determining dates. I believe, I want to say it's 20 or 28 weeks, sometime around then. Um, it can be plus or minus a week, which again, is pretty significant. So, I've seen it happen that a woman knows her dates based on her cycle. A woman gets an ultrasound, maybe in the second trimester, and is told that actually she was wrong. Her baby is a week bigger than what they thought. So we're gonna move your due date up a week. Right, does that make sense? I think I did the math there, right? And then a woman is 41, 42 weeks by her new and improved, I put that in quotes, due date, and she's induced. And it turns out she actually only had, a, let's say it was 41 weeks when she was induced, she only had a 40-week baby. So, in all likelihood, that baby will be fine, but in all likelihood, that baby needed more time to cook. And you can imagine if a woman is induced at 39 weeks, for example, because that's occasionally protocol with certain complications, and that baby was actually 38 weeks, that could make a big difference in that baby's readiness to exist in the world. So, the final thing on the topic of due dates is the one that I found most annoying. First of all, that's just people's favorite question to ask pregnant people. Like, that's the most important. When will this thing be done cooking and come out of you? We need to know precisely. And I think that's because people are not used to being unsure. We're not used to having 
open-ended calendars and saying, oh, maybe this week, maybe the next week, maybe three weeks from now. And that goes for both the pregnant people themselves and everyone around them. So people would constantly ask me, oh, when are you due? And I would say, you know, January. And they'd say, when in January? As if perhaps I didn't know what needed to tell them more specifically or, you know, me not telling them the first time was not indication enough that I didn't want to divulge more information than that. And I would say, oh, January. And I think it kind of irritated some people, but I was not interested in a bunch of pressure as my due date got closer. I was like, oh, are you due today? Oh, you're due today. People texting me like, hey, you're due today. Is the baby coming yet? I wanted it to remain as open and spacious and pressureless as possible. And ironically, Olin was born right on his due date. The middle of the afternoon on the day that we determined he was due. So there's a lesson for me. You can be as open and free as you want and babies still have their own timing, even if that timing is precise <laughs> or statistically improbable. Um, I was fully prepared. I'd like mentally prepared myself to be 42, 42 plus weeks pregnant because I've heard from so many women that like, you know, there's the agony of waiting and they just wanted their pregnancy to be over with. So when he came at 40 weeks exactly, I was like, wait, but I'm not ready to be done being pregnant yet. I thought I had a couple more weeks to just soak this in, but now birth is happening. And that's, again, another lesson is that you can have expectations and I think it was good that I was preparing myself mentally for more time rather than less and you don't know anything I don't know anything we don't know anything about why babies are born when they choose to be born so what are some alternatives to due dates I've been kind of toying around in my mind with my next pregnancy, the idea of not allowing myself to mentally calculate a due date. And that sounds really hard. I don't know if I could do it. And not allowing anyone to tell me either. It's just remaining completely numbers free and say, I am the amount pregnant that I feel right now. Um, I don't know if that's possible or feasible. I don't know if my brain will allow me to be that open-ended, but it sounds like an interesting challenge. Something else that I feel really intrigued by is keeping track of pregnancy by the moon cycles. So that would be about 10 moon cycles that you'd be pregnant for. And I guess if you know the moon cycles, you probably will know the dates as well. But that feels really perhaps romantic to me. To say, oh, I'm three moons pregnant. I want to start talking in like old English. Twas nigh, three months hence. Anyways, if you've stuck, me, stuck with me this far on this episode, you get some serious gold stars for uh, navigating the workings of my premenstrual mind. <laughs> it's all over the place right now. But I feel like, again, just as the seasons being related to my podcast episodes, my own seasons are really related. And I'm feeling in this space of liminality, of not a detachment from reality. I feel very much in reality, in my body, present, in nature. But 
a detachment from some of the made-up structures that we have created as humans. Time very much being one of them. So, similar to a due date, I'm just waiting for my moon to come. And it could be tomorrow, it could be the next day. I was about to say it could be yesterday, but that's not possible. It could be a minute from now. And there's no way of making anything happen. There's no way of forcing it. There's no way of assuring. It just comes when it comes. And that's a really beautiful lesson also. So, this topic of time, of trimesters, I think also very much applies to the way that we speak about birth. So when I took my first doula training, I was very much not into the birth world at all, but knew that I wanted to be. And so I took a pretty standard doula training where I learned here's the phases and the stages of labor and Friedman's curve and it's a bell chart or whatever. And actually, I don't know what that means, but it's, it's curve. And this phase usually lasts this long. And then there's this second phase of labor, which ends a transition. And then there's the pushing phase, which should last between this long and this long on average. And I think that is on one hand important for our brains to know, maybe, but I don't believe it should be front and center in our consciousness when supporting women through birth. So birth is not always linear. Sometimes people might have what could be considered a textbook perfect birth where it does happen like that. The first stage lasts for this long and contractions get longer and stronger and closer together. And then we move into active labor at exactly this point when you are this many centimeters and you continue to just dilate and dilate and get more intense in labor until you reach transition. And then you zoom through transition and begin to push and that all wraps that up very neatly. That's fine, that's great. If you had that kind of birth, awesome doesn't really matter. There's no better or worse birth. But I would say more often than that, at least in my realm of the world, you hear of women who have births that don't go like that. Maybe they're in labor for a night and then they're not in labor all day. And then they go into labor again the next night and it feels like things are happening and then they're not in labor the whole next day. Or maybe you have a baby and three hours after your water breaks and your contractions start. There's so much variation. And part of that variation is that things don't always go forward. Even a cervix dilating. Someone could check it and say, oh, yep, you're four centimeters. And then an hour later, check it and be like, oh, you're two centimeters. What does that mean? Ultimately, nothing, because cervical dilation is no indication of what's going to happen, of where things are going, of the timing of that. It's just telling you what is happening right now. And I think that if women have only ever heard this very, in some ways masculine, numbers driven, graphed out version of what labor is going to be like in quotes, then it can feel confusing or scary or disheartening when the flow of labor is not like that. It's not one step leads to the next, leads to the next, leads to the next. Everything continues to progress. Things can go backwards. Things can stop. Things can go sideways. I don't mean like that one sideways, I just mean like there is no linear in this situation. Birth is a transition process that can happen in as many ways as there are 
births, honestly. So this is why in our course, Wise Woman Sacred Birth, we don't talk about the phases and stages of labor. Not because we don't think that women should know about them, but because first of all, it's very easy to Google. You just look it up, you absorb the information in five minutes, you're like, okay, great, now I understand that paradigm. Instead, we talk about it like a story or like a flow because that's really what it is ultimately. It's not a timeline. Labor is not a timeline. It is a story. It is a river flowing. There could be twists and turns. There could be pools where everything just calms down and slows down. There could be rapids. And we don't know what that's going to look like for any woman. And again, so much of this mystery, this timelessness, this sense of being out of time, which I think is very present in a physiological birth, thanks to the hormones, um, which kind of take you out of normal time. I think that anyone who's been in a really intense situation, or just anyone who's lived, can think of times, can think of experiences where they're like, wow, time really just flew past. I can't be believe it's been two hours. Or time is really just dragging on and like a couple of nights ago when I was putting my son to sleep, I was like, wow, I feel like I've been lying in bed here for two hours. And it had been 10, 15 minutes. So our experience of time is so much tied to, I think, both our expectations and how we feel about what's happening. And again, coming back to the beginning, does time exist? The big question, to which I think the answer is no. Um, it's been fabricated as a way to delineate our experiences. Um, and I totally feel that with a toddler. So I feel like this is sort of moving into the next phase of questioning time is as a mother. And I have days where I'm like, well, it's one o'clock. It's time for Olin to take a nap. Or for example, wow, he woke up really early this morning. I guess he'll be taking a nap as many hours early as he woke up early. And most of the time that works. I mean, kind of makes sense. Our bodies are on a certain rhythm. But I also catch myself, I don't catch myself, I question myself. Like, why do I need to look at the clock before I decide if this very child, very tired child in front of me needs a nap? What does the number mean at all in relevance to this situation? I can tell where he's at. I can tell if he's tired or not. So why do I need a clock to confirm that? And I haven't really answered that for myself. It's kind of just a funny thing that I think a lot of people can relate to, but my brain just needs that reassurance. Like, yes, it is indeed nap time based on these numbers. And I think that we can apply that. Well, not apply that, but we can sort of extrapolate this principle, this concept, and think about ways that we do that even in our own lives, in our own bodies. Um, similar to when our moon cycle comes. You can say, oh, it's two days late. But is it really late or are you just looking at the wrong calendar? And I guess the right calendar in this case would just be the universal calendar. <laughs> the Norn, Norn's calendar, because they know what's up. Um, or I've even caught myself being like, no, I don't have to pee. It's, I just peed 20 minutes ago. Like, wait, what am I talking about? I can feel in my body that I have to pee. Why am I saying I don't have to? 
or I think often for women this comes up with food whether it's on either side like oh it's been three hours I need to eat even if you maybe don't feel hungry or I can't be hungry I don't need a snack right now I just had breakfast two hours ago it's like if you're hungry eat and if you're not don't it's so simple and we have created so many mental structures that honestly just I mean in a lot of ways complicate our lives and sometimes they're necessary if you say I'm going to meet you at two o'clock at the playground you'll probably both get there at around the same time versus if you say to a friend I'll meet you after nap time on the playground <laughs> who knows when you'll get there you might totally miss each other so I'm not saying we should eradicate all clocks that's highly impractical and wouldn't happen even if I said it because it's a global phenomenon here. I don't think my podcast is going to change the world in that way. But maybe just in your own life, contemplate, am I doing, am I ruling my body or my pregnancy or my labor or the labor of women or the pregnancy of women that I support or my child's body based on a clock, based on time? Or am I allowing myself to be in tune with the natural rhythm of things. And I believe, obviously I'm not there myself, but I believe the more that I embrace and sink into the latter, the more life will open up to me. If I am available to be in harmony, in flow, listening to my body, to nature, that just, I mean, right now in my body, I'm like, oh, that sounds so much better than saying it's two o'clock, I have to do something. So that's an invitation for you. Um, Sarah and I teach a free workshop that Indie Birth put together. It's so much fun to teach. And one of the things that is talked about in how to support physiological birth is to cover up the clocks, which I think is, some ways the opposite of what a lot of pregnant women are told to do, which is time your contractions. And I'm not going to say there's no value to that. But again, I think it's, its value lies in relaying information to other people. So for you personally, why? This is just a question. For you to contemplate, why do you, would you need to know how far apart your contractions are? How long they're lasting for? In my birth... Um, at around 7 in the morning after I'd been laboring by myself for, you know, probably about 7 hours, Sarah came up and was like, oh, I wonder how far apart your contractions are. And I had not thought of that. I had not thought of anything. I was completely out of my brain. In a good way. In the best possible way. And she started to time them, and I had to help her because it was not a straightforward pattern. It was like triple contractions on top of each other and then a very brief pause so I would have to communicate to her when a contraction began and when a contraction ended and that in itself was such a an interruption a distraction from the flow state that I had been in I'm not going to say that that wrecked my whole labor at all but in the moments when we were doing that I was like this just doesn't feel good like this part of my brain is not meant to be on right now and Oh, hi, Crow. It's very challenging to be, to be functioning in that way when deep in labor land. And she was also like, oh, I guess it's time to call the midwife. 
and I had not thought of her at all. I think that if Sarah hadn't been there, well, probably my partner would have suggested it. But there's never would have been a moment in my labor when I was like, oh yeah, that woman, let's call the midwife. I would have just been so into it and continued to go. And honestly, I think that, well, as I've said many times before, I believe that I got the birth experience exactly as I needed it to be. And because of the lessons that I needed to get from it. But I think that if I hadn't called her, I probably would have been able to stay deep into my own process, into my own self, into physiological birth, instead of being a little bit taken, taken back to a normal everyday consciousness. Not saying at all that this was the, my midwife's fault, as I've said many times before, she's an amazing lady and I'm sure the perfect midwife for many, many women, but not for me in this scenario. So, where was I going? Is time real? Do we need to base our biological clocks on regular clocks? And how does this sort of attunement to, I'm gonna use the word rhythmicity, because I heard it recently from Nico Kennedy when we did the podcast episode with her and I just think it's such a beautiful word I don't know if it's a real word or not but I like it how can we be in touch with the rhythmicity of our own bodies and our own lives and how can this apply to bigger principles instead of maybe having a life plan that says in this year in this month I'm going to have this much money and then so many months later I'm going to buy my house and then at this specific number I will have children which I know probably most people don't do, but I'm sure we all have some. I mean, even for me right now, in planning a future pregnancy, I'm like, maybe in the fall, when it's been so many months or years since I had Olin. And I think there's wisdom to that. There is a place for that. And I'm also feeling, as I get closer to this imaginary date I've made up for myself, I'm feeling myself allowing that to soften any attachment to that specific time, that specific date, that specific increment between children, I'm letting it just soften and say, there will be a window when we will be open to having another child come in. And I don't wanna be in control of that window, honestly. I want, I mean, people talk about child-led weaning and, you know, breastfeeding and all that, but what about child-led conception? How can we just open ourselves up to saying when the message comes, we can open to this. We can receive this. And that's what I'm, I don't want to say working on because it's not work. That's what I'm softening into. To releasing attachment to dates, to timing, to having any control. And this isn't saying I'm like, you know, gonna just go willy-nilly and (laughs) if a baby happens, whatever. But being open and aware and listening to a wisdom that's greater and deeper than, not than myself because it all is myself, but than my thinking mind, than my rational mind. Very similar to in labor. How can you go deeper than your regular everyday brainwaves? And the big thing, we're gonna go back a second, couple steps here and again, gold stars for you if you've made it this far and you have any idea what I'm talking about because sometimes I don't 
Um, I think that I forgot about this because I'm in toddler world and not so much in baby world anymore, but this schedule thing is so almost forced upon us with infants. There's, you know, when you come home from a hospital, there's like breastfeeding charts. Have you breastfed? Write down the time and then which side and then in a specific amount of time, set your timer and move the bracelet over to the other wrist and then it's time to do the other side and wake your kid up if they've been asleep for more than two hours because if they get a little bit hungry, they'll die and you need to force feed them and I'm being very dramatic, I know, but there is this serious preference to external time markers instead of, again, listening to our bodies, to our baby's bodies. I know that when I was in the first couple months of Olin's babyhood, usually right before or right as he was waking up to nurse in the middle of the night, that would be the same time my breast gave me the message, it's time to nurse again. And I don't know if that's because I could feel him moving or just like feel his energy starting to be more mm, focused on my own. Or if it's just one of the beautiful synchronicities of mom and baby. We both knew what was up. We knew it was time, not because of a clock, because we just felt it and we honored that. And same with sleeping. People have so many ideas of the way infant sleep goes often based on their own experience. Like I've had people, you know, when Olin was two months old, being like, oh, is he sleeping through the night yet? And he didn't sleep through the night until he was like 20 months old. <laughs> he still doesn't always sleep through the night. Or on the other hand, maybe people who have had experiences with babies who don't sleep a lot, I'll be like, oh, just you wait, they're gonna wake you up every hour and a half. And that doesn't leave a lot of space for each mom and baby's individuality, each mom and baby's experience, and able to flow with what is. Like, yeah, they'll probably wake up more when they're going through an intense growth experience, or if they're not feeling well. If they have teeth, if they're just learning to crawl, if they're too hot, if they're hungry, whatever it is, things change. I feel like there's Oh, it's like that song. I think that's maybe from a part of the Bible or something. For everything, there is a season. And those seasons aren't, just as the seasons in the world aren't delineated. Like right here, it feels like spring today and tomorrow it could snow. It's not an abrupt pivot direction change. It is this slow, wavering, process of unfolding into the next step. So that is the invitation for myself, mostly. Again, a lot of these podcast episodes are just me thinking about things as they relate to my life. And I love it when I feel like I've fully talked through something and I come to a place where the core of it or the prayer of it really comes through. Like, what was my intention with saying all this? What is the energy, the prayer that I want to put out in the world for myself, for all of you, for all the babies and all the pregnant mamas? It's that we can trust our own rhythms. We can allow things to unfold in their own timing. 
we can cover up the clock during our soul's labor. I think often in difficult experiences, we want to know when they'll be over. Like I'm approaching my Saturn return very soon. And I've heard so many horror stories about like, oh, and then I, my dad died and my house burnt down and I just went through this horrible, awful time. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying that's not going to happen for me. Um, but I am saying I want to lose focus on an end date and just allow myself to be present with the unfolding. You want to know what's really funny? Is that I was about to close this episode um, and Olin and I are walking on the bike path. He's asleep right now. And we ran into our friends who has a son who's a month or two older than Olin. And she's like, yeah, we were, you know, he was really tired at noon, but then I just, I pushed it because I didn't think, you know, we weren't ready for nap yet. And now I don't think he's going to fall asleep. <laughs> so that feels like a very tangible demonstration of a moment that we could approach with hmm, flexibility, attunement, deep listening, and non-attachment. <laughs> that is such an amazing gift of becoming a mother, is this non-attachment. And not in a way of like, oh, I'm not attached to my child, I don't really care about them very much. But non-attachment to what our ego wants. What our ego thinks is going to happen. The way that we've planned our dream birth in our head and then things go totally not like that. The way we thought we were going to have a Capricorn baby or we knew it was going to be a boy and then it was a girl who was born in Aquarius season. And babies will do that to you. Children will do that to you. Keep surprising you, keeping you on your toes, keeping you flexible and in flow. So maybe after recording this podcast, after speaking this out loud for myself, I'm going to challenge myself to be less clock-based. There's a couple days a week where I don't have any plans. I don't have any childcare situations or, you know, anything to do at a certain time. And I think I'm going to put tape over the clock on our stove and just allow ourselves to wake up when we wake up and not have any judgment on that. Not say, oh, we woke up so early, I'm exhausted. Or say, wow, we slept in, that's awesome, I feel great, because I've noticed that that's totally a thing. I can wake up pretty early and not look at the clock and say, all right, it's morning, it's time to start our day, this is great. Or I can wake up pretty early and just have this mindset of like, oh my god, the sun's not even up, I can't believe it, I'm exhausted, when maybe I don't even feel exhausted. I'm just projecting that onto myself based on the time. So, I will report back to you how this experiment works. We will, Olin will take a nap when he seems tired. We will go on adventures or errands when we feel like it. We will start making lunch when we are starting to notice that we might be feeling hungry. I say we, but it's mostly me while he throws stuff around. And I think that in doing this, what I will find is a greater alignment with the cycles of the day, with the earth cycles. And again, after talking with Nico on that podcast episode, which is number 33, I believe, about circadian rhythms and that incredible impact that can have on pregnancy and just on health in general, I think that I will find if I start to really 
drop numbers and allow for feelings to come through that I will be more in alignment with the passage of the sun and the demands no not demands that sounds too harsh the askings of the season so if you would like to try this experiment with you with me or maybe I'm trying it with you um that would be awesome I would encourage you to let me know how it feels what you notice if anything um, you can send us an email I am Mabel at catskillsbirth.org my name is spelled M-A-I-B-L-E or you could comment give us a review on the podcast or you can leave us not leave us a message send us a message through Instagram we are at Catskills Birth Collective I hope you have a lovely open-ended non-linear day Thank you.